Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast. I am super excited to dive into this special July 4th edition of the show. Now, I've got to tell you, I encountered some really interesting July 4th facts. These were things I didn't know actually a lot about. I had maybe had forgotten them. Some of them I had, I had never heard. Now, we put together a story. You can find it over at insider.pureflix.com. That's our Pure Flix Insider blog. Lots of great daily content over there. But we put together some fascinating facts about July 4th. Now, the first fact, there was sort of a discrepancy in the beginning between July 2nd or July 4th, which day we would celebrate. Now, it turns out not everybody assumed it would be the 4th. However, obviously, that's when we do commemorate our independence. So why was there a discrepancy? Well, it turns out the Continental Congress actually declared freedom from Britain on July 2nd, 1776. And if you look back at founding father John Adams, he actually felt that July 2nd would be the day of recognition. Now, again, we know that didn't quite happen. So where does July 4th come into it? Well, that was the day that the Declaration of Independence was actually approved. So, you know, the 2nd, the 4th, no big deal, but it is an interesting history. Adams himself actually wrote a letter on July 3rd to his wife Abigail saying that he thought the second day of July would be the most memorable day in the history of America. So just a little interesting history there. Um, But let's get into another fact, right? So why do we celebrate the 4th of July? That's a question a lot of us have. And one of the things, you know, that I think obviously is interesting about this. We know that we celebrate it because it's our independence. But when you get into some of the founding fathers, you look at Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, one of the interesting facts, they both died on the same day. Okay. They died on July 4th, 1826, both of them. And it's just one of those weird facts uh, that they died on, on Independence Day, the same exact year, and that the two of them being founding fathers, having that same death date, that was another strange sort of issue that popped out. But But one of the other things, you know, it wasn't really until after 1812 that some people really started to celebrate July 4th. The holiday wasn't officially a federal commemoration until 1870. Uh, Congress made the decision on June 2nd, 1870 to celebrate Independence Day. And so when we talk about why do we celebrate it, when did we decide to celebrate it, that gives you a little bit of the history on, on some of that. Now, why do we celebrate with fireworks? Well, it turns out fireworks have been around for quite a long time. According to history.com, the tradition actually goes back as far as American independence itself. And so this is not a new tradition. It's something that has sort of always happened. Um, and it's it's sort of fascinating to me that these traditions have carried on and on. Now, I'll let you head over to learn a little bit more about the U.S. flag code. There's a, a fourth fact. You can find it over at insider.pureflix.com about what the U.S. actually says about the flag and really, really, really interesting elements of that. So you can read more and you can find lots of other great content. We actually have another article up about true freedom, Bible verses that help us discover what true freedom 
really is and what the Bible says about it. You know, we talk a lot about freedom this time of year, but what are we really told as Christians about freedom? And so you can find that piece as well over at insider.pureflix.com. Now, with no further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the show right now. We are going to be talking about Alexander Hamilton, and we're going to be speaking to author Kevin Cloud, who wrote the book God and Hamilton. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We are going to be talking today about Alexander Hamilton and about your book, God and Hamilton. And I guess for me, what's so fascinating uh, with this topic is, you know, always knew about Alexander Hamilton, obviously. You grow up, you learn a little history. He's sort of peppered throughout. Um, but he's become such a big deal in pop culture over the past few years. Why do you think that is? Why this resurgence almost? Yeah, it is interesting because before the musical came out, he really was the forgotten founding father, right? I mean, we had completely um, forgotten about him and the impact that he had in in the early years of our of our country's founding. Uh, but this musical, you know, comes out and it just takes the world by storm. I mean, people just go absolutely bonkers about it. And I think the reason, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think. I think, first of all, the musical really is that good. You know, when I uh, first heard about it, I'd read all these reviews and these people that were saying, this musical has changed my life. It's the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. And I kept remember thinking, it can't be that good, right? I mean, I'm sure it's great, but uh, but then my wife and I had the opportunity to see it, and it was that good. I mean, it was it was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen or experienced. And so it really is that good. But the second reason I think that it connects with people, and this is what my book is about, is I think that there are these themes that are at the heart of Alexander Hamilton's story that are so important to what it means to be fully human, um, even to what it means to live out the truths of the gospel. So it is a story of shame and of grace and of surrender and doubt and redemption. And all of these great themes that we see played out in the story are so compelling to us because they're the themes that, that we struggle with every day in our lives as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's what makes everything in art relatable, right? Is being able to kind of say, okay, what what can I pull out of this, whether it's a movie, a play, a TV show, whatever it is, that that I can relate to in my own life. And so one of the things, and I don't know, when we learn history, I feel like we learn facts, right, about people. We learn figures, we learn we learn data, but we don't really get a sense of people and who they were. And that's what to me as a storyteller, I love telling stories and the details of people's lives, what they go through, who they are, that's where the meat of the really interesting stuff is, right? It's good to know the facts and the details about what they've accomplished, but I want to know what people have gone through, what they believed, who they who they are. Um and so for you, I guess I I don't I can't I don't want to impose any of reasons why I think you wrote your book, but what was it for you that was sort of the motivating factor outside of what you just discussed for diving deeper into Alexander Hamilton's life? Yeah, so for me, I saw the musical and really left the theater with this profound sense of having experienced God's presence in there. I mean, multiple scenes uh, that just cut me to the heart that God, I think, used to challenge me and encourage me and inspire me. And so I, I had this experience of God the first time I saw it. Then I went home and I just started listening to it all the time and just continued to have this sense of how powerful these songs were and, and how important they were. And then I just started reading everything I could about Alexander Hamilton. I started with the biography by Ron Chernow that was kind of the basis of the musical happening. Uh, and then I read everything else I could about the Founding Fathers and Hamilton's life and and was really struck by his life and his faith and these really powerful scenes uh, moments of his life and his relationship with God and, and the way that he 
um, pursued uh, his family relationships, and I just really fell in love with his story and felt really convicted by his story and challenged by his story. And you know, Hamilton had become such a phenomenon that part of me writing this book was hoping to help people connect this story that has become so so dear to so many people and helping them see the spiritual themes in there so that they might take those ideas then back to their lives today and let them change how they live. So so what was Alexander Hamilton's faith? Because the founding fathers, and before you answer it, I just want to make this statement because I think people know this. One of the, the age-all debates is over which founding fathers believed in God, who was a deist, who was a Christian, right? Like This debate goes on and on and on about the founding fathers and what they would have wanted. But when it comes to him, what was his faith? Yeah, he, he was a Christian. He um, grew up in the Caribbean. And as a young boy, there's uh, hymns that he had written that talk very eloquently about his relationship with God, about his faith in Christ. Uh, he comes to America as a kind of a younger uh, teenager, and he starts to attend King's College, where he would have gone to chapel every day and gone to church twice a day. His roommates talked about the fervency of Alexander Hamilton's prayers. Um, in his later years, uh, his kids would talk about how he would sit down and read the Bible with them and how he would have notes in the margins on his deathbed after he was shot by Aaron Burr, the sitting vice president in in the famous duel. Uh, he's on his deathbed and he's calling for priests and pastors to come to him to read him his final rites. He's declaring his dependence on the mercy of Christ. Uh, he tells his wife again and again as he's dying, remember, Eliza, you are a Christian. Remember, Eliza, you are a Christian. Trying to give her some sense of solace and 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 vision for how to make it through this, the loss of her husband. So there's no question that that he had a deep faith and that that was a really important part of his life. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's really interesting to me because that's not, again, not something that I learned, right? And we don't really learn, again, about these details in people's lives, who they were. And of course, you know, everyone is flawed, but yet with the flaws, we're all human beings. We have these amazing stories that we're all able to tell. And so diving into people's lives like Hamilton, and that again, that's probably what makes the show so relatable. You walked away having this emotional feeling about it and this connection. And so then diving into his life, for you, what was the most shocking or surprising discovery that you made just about him in general? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I would say I would say that the, his faith journey, um, because when I saw the musical, it's certainly not a, a major part of the musical. I mean, it's uh, you know, you go see a mu- musical like Les Mis and you can't walk away thinking, oh, what an incredible story about God. You know, that's really at the heart of that of that story. So that's not what what it's like in Hamilton. Um, but it's but the elements are certainly there and it's right under the surface if you have the eyes to see them, I think. And so for me, the most interesting thing was reading about his 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 faith life and reading about what a what an important part of his life God was and how committed he was to that relationship um, and and how. That idea influenced him, I think, in a number of different ways uh, throughout his life with his family and his, his his leadership. And not that he was perfect. He had a lot of flaws. And, and that is another reason that the story is so compelling is that his life is just great drama, right? I mean, he's a, he's a poor orphan kid from the Caribbean that comes to America and works his way up and becomes basically George Washington's right-hand man uh, during the Revolutionary War and then also to build the government. Uh, so he had these huge, this huge kind of rise. And then and then he falls out of favor. He, he commits this affair with Mariah Reynolds that becomes very public and his political career is kind of shattered. And and uh, so there's just all these ups and downs and it just makes for great drama and it makes for a great story. 
Well, and, and you mentioned, you know, again, people's stories, people make mistakes, they fall out of favor, you know, and, and we can look through history and, and this is happening a lot right now and sort of and pull things out. And, and there's it, it's complicated. People are complicated and we're looking through the lens of history um, at various individuals. But one of the interesting parts of his story that I didn't really know because I didn't know a lot about his background was that Caribbean, the fact of the Caribbean. He was born there. He was an immigrant to America, essentially. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's a main theme. Uh, really throughout the musical is coming to America as an immigrant and then trying to find a place of equality and acceptance um, as an immigrant. You know, um, John Adams is a great example of he's the, you know, when he becomes president, he and he and Hamilton really don't like each other. They they don't get along at all. And, and John Adams calls him the Creole bastard. And this is kind of a, you know, a way to slander him and to, to bring up his immigrant status and 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 again, that is a major theme throughout the throughout the story. It's a story of a man coming to New York and redefining himself and trying to make something of himself in a new country. And in a lot of ways, it's really fascinating. Uh, one of the interesting historical details is that Hamilton could never have done what he did in most countries in the world at that time. You know, um, America really was a true democracy, meaning you could come, or a meritocracy is another way to put it, where you, you come and, and you try to become something based on your in, intellect and your intelligence and your ability to accomplish things. You know, many of the other countries, you would never have risen, I mean, even in the British army, you would never have risen to a place of leadership unless you had family connections and wealth and and those sorts of things. But in America, he he's a great leader and he has potential. And so he quickly rises up through the ranks and he has opportunity here that he might not have had in some other countries. What were the what are the biggest things? And I know this is sort of a loaded question in terms of just his accomplishments. If you know long term accomplishments, the biggest cultural changes that he was able to help or have a part in uh, making happen in America. Yeah, I would say the two that really stick out to me. And again, every time I do uh, these interviews, I have to remind everybody I'm not a historian. I'm a theologian and a pastor, and so I'm certainly a little bit out of my waters talking too much history. But what sticks out to me. Uh, it's first of all his role in the Revolutionary War. He again rises quickly through the ranks and basically becomes George Washington's chief of staff. I mean, he he becomes an extension of Washington throughout the entire Revolutionary War, and the the circumstances they faced were were so horrible and so daunting, and yet he was an absolute central piece of 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 winning that war. Uh, but then after that, building the government, he becomes the the Secretary of Treasury, and he builds our economy, and and is absolutely. Um, whereas, uh, one of the, one of the quotes in the Chernow book is that if George Washington was the father of our nation, that then Alexander Hamilton was the father of our government, that he was the one that created the systems and the structures that we needed, uh, when we created, when we created this new country and this new government. Mm. Yeah. And, and you think back to that, I mean, it's such an incredible thing, even spiritually, when you think back to the founding of America and, and, Everything that went into that and the odds being stacked against people like Alexander Hamilton and yet the amazing things that the colonists were able to do and that the founding fathers were able to do and, and sort of setting up this nation again, not in this aura of perfection, but creating, you know, a declaration of independence and then a constitution that over time can actually change to right wrongs, can actually change, can be used to not only build the country, but allow it to evolve and change over time. It's pretty incredible. It really is. Yeah, there was another book I read by I think the author's name was Ellis. I'm forgetting his first name, but he basically made the point that the that the political leadership at that time in kind of the revolutionary era and then building this new government, that that political leadership that our our founding fathers sh showed was one of the, if not the most, one of the most, um, one of the most. How did he put it? 
influential, impressive acts of government that the Western world has ever seen. Well, let me ask you this as we close out our time here. What what is the big takeaway? If somebody picks up God and Hamilton and, and they read it, what do you want as an author, as a pastor, for those people to think, feel, or experience as a result of reading your book? Yeah, I hope that the book helps people see that God can use stories to transform our lives. And that story has this amazing power to get into us, to connect with us emotionally, to cast vision for us, to give us hope, uh, to give us vision for what our, our lives could look like, and that we can enter into a story like Hamilton and we can open ourselves up to God in those moments and ask God to teach us, to change us, to transform us, to help us see who he wants us to become. And and that these stories are filled with with these themes that can be really impactful in our lives. Maybe just one quick story of, of a way that that can happen. Um, one of my chapters in, in the book, God and Hamilton, is about the idea of redemption. And Hamilton grows up as an orphan, and it really is a, a source of, of pain for him for most of his life. He, we see in his letters these inadequacies that he struggles with and, and, and regrets that he has from his family heritage. And, and you can see Eliza Hamilton, his wife, sharing those burdens with him and really sharing this idea of, of what, a, what, a, what a deep wound that would have been for Alexander Hamilton. And then after Hamilton dies, a few years later, Eliza Hamilton feels called by God, and it, she feels it as a clear spiritual call um, to build an orphanage. And she, with a small group of women, launches first public orphanage in New York City. And it's how the musical ends as Eliza's singing about the orphanage. And she says that in every orphan that she serves, she sees Alexander. And it's this great example of this woman that took her husband's brokenness and then made it beautiful and redeemed it. And that's what God promises to each of us, right? To take the broken parts of our lives, the parts of our lives that feel dysfunctional, and to redeem them and somehow make them new and make them good and make them beautiful. And when we see a story like Hamilton and we see that happening, it forces us to ask the question, well, what would that look like in my life? What would it look like for me to help make some brokenness beautiful, to make things new, or to even open myself up to allow God to do that for me as well? So that's the big that's the big idea. How can God use these, these stories to change us? And I think, I think too, you know, being open to hearing stories and actually wanting to listen to other people's stories because we learned so much through that and not only listening to other people because you just gave a great example, um, but but diving into history, looking at those stories as you've done here on, in a spiritual sense and also thinking about our own story. What, what do we have to offer to other people, especially when it comes to being Christians and being out there talking to others, having friends who are going through things, just having that ability to use our experience and the things we've gone through, the mistakes we've made, um, the positive things that have happened to really make change in other people's lives too. That, that's really powerful. Yeah, it really is. And, and um, I've done a lot of research on the power of story and neuroscientists, the more they learn about our brains and how our brain interacts with story. I mean, it's almost like God created us to respond to stories, right? You see Jesus's ministry, his primary strategy for teaching his audiences about life in the kingdom of God was by telling stories, right? And I don't think that's by accident. I think that's because Jesus knew, obviously, that uh, we are created to respond to stories, to be open to stories, and to let stories do transformative work in us. Well, listen, I so appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We're going to make sure we link out to God and Hamilton, and uh, hope to have you back sometime soon. Yeah, Billy, that'd be great. Uh, it's an honor to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Did you know you could access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family-friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, 
we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today! Welcome back to the Pure Flix Podcast. I am Billy Hollowell. And before the break there, we had an interview with Kevin Cloud. He's a pastor and an author. And it's so interesting hearing about history, right, through the lens of somebody who's had a chance to sort of look at some of these amazing and interesting figures who we've, we've encountered in history class, maybe, and we've heard the facts and the details, but maybe we don't know the deeper history behind faith or who these people were. And so it's always interesting to have a chance to explore some of that and hear different perspectives on it. Now, having said that, I want to make sure that we cover something here that we did actually last week on the show. We're doing it again now. This is our Insider Inspiration Series. This is a segment on the show where we actually tap into a movie or a TV show and we pull out some of the devotional, powerful, biblical truths that we can take away from it. And today we're actually going to be talking about the case for Christ. And even if you haven't seen the film, I know a lot of people out there, you've probably read the book. Even if you haven't read the book, this segment sort of takes you through just some amazing themes. You don't even have to have liked the book or the movie or watched it, although I would encourage you to head over to Pure Flix and actually watch The Case for Christ because it's a phenomenal film. But no matter where you are with that project, you can actually listen to this and, and take something powerful away, some truths about our own lives, the things that we can relate to with the characters and the individuals we encounter in books. It's so powerful and in movies, and so we have a chance to kind of extrapolate some of that and pull some powerful lessons out. So with no further ado, I want to introduce to you today's Insider Inspiration audio series. Hey, I'm Billy Hollowell, and welcome to our PureFlix Insider Inspiration video series where we find powerful devotional truths in the films and TV shows that are now streaming on PureFlix.com. Now, today I am really excited to be diving into one of my favorite movies, The Case for Christ. This is a film that stars actors Mike Vogel and Erica Christensen. Now, the film tells the real-life story of atheist journalist turned Christian apologist Lee Strobel. He was once the legal affairs editor for the Chicago Tribune, and at the time he was an atheist, but he ended up finding himself undergoing a fascinating and unexpected spiritual transformation. Now, The Case for Christ shows us Strobel's incredible journey of trying to disprove Christianity. He set out to disprove it, but yet he found himself actually embracing the faith. Now, the movie leaves us with some truly powerful lessons for our own lives. So let's dive right in. Lesson one, God can change anyone. Just think about it. Strobel was an intellectual. He was a journalist and he was an atheist who thought Christianity was a mere figment of people's imaginations. But God not only changed him, but he has since used Strobel to spread the gospel all over the world. From books to feature film, Strobel's transformational story is changing hearts and minds. So I guess the lesson is if there is someone in your life who you believe will never change, watch this movie and get inspired to hope and pray for that person. The second lesson, the truth of Christianity is all around us. You know, it's fascinating to see Strobel's journey of trying to look at the facts and to disprove the Bible, and in the end, actually going on this honest exploration that leads him where he thought he would never go. Romans 1.20 tells us that really an honest exploration would conclude that there is a God and that the God of the Bible is that Lord. 
The verse reads, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The truth is that all around us, if we have an open heart and we move toward the truth, we will see the truth. And that actually brings us to the third lesson. God will open our eyes if we come to Him with open hearts. All it takes is a willingness to understand the truth. Now Matthew 7, 7 through 8 reads, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And that's exactly what happened with Strobel. He went on a mission to honestly explore Christianity and ended up finding Jesus. And I'll throw you one additional verse that I think is important to look at, and it really speaks to God's willingness to reveal truth. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That wraps up our Pure Flix Inspiration devotional on the case for Christ. You can see these themes and many others play out right now by streaming the movie on pureflix.com. And be sure to head over to insider.pureflix.com for more daily inspiring content. And that's a wrap for our PureFlix Insider Inspiration video slash audio series. And thanks so much for tuning into the podcast today. Listen, head on over to Apple Podcasts, you know, wherever you're listening to us. I mean, we're pretty much everywhere right now. And drop us a review. Let people know what you think of the show. We would love to hear from you. So if you want to head over to anchor.fm slash Podcast, you can send us a voicemail. We've got that open up so you can give us a call, leave us a message. But we'd really love your reviews. So please head on over to wherever you're listening to the show and drop a review for us. And please tune in next week for another episode of the PureFlix Podcast. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix and on Twitter at pureflix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for thousands of faith and family friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix podcast.